Are you disrespecting the captain? I am. I'm sorry. <laughs> you've reached hotline design podcast how may we help you and welcome back to hotline design podcast on this week's episode we're talking all about accessibility what is it why is it important and how can we make sure to keep it front of mind in all of our designs so i need to know yusin lavinia how have your weeks been my week's been great thank you lauren uh, I feel like I'm just going to repeat myself, but I feel so tired. I think I've just been working on quite a few different things at the moment. Obviously, that's my main sort of day-to-day day job as UX designer. I'm in my UX team of one, but I'm also just trying to build my skills on the side. I feel like I talk about this week after week, but I've just been really getting into After Effects, making some little animations. This week is also Lunar New Year, so I have been trying to clean my house, do a little bit of a celebration on my own. How how charming. And new Lunar New Year, new you. I know, New Year, new me. Apparently, this year is meant to be quite good for most people because I don't know what that is, but I saw on someone's Instagram feed the other day that, you know, it's all about career successes and stuff. So fingers crossed that this takes off really looking shout forward out to, to all the oxes as well yeah shout out to all of the ox is it oxes or oxen like what's the ox eye out there or how lauren calls them cows with attitude love it <laughs> the flock of ox <laughs> no. um but yeah like that's just been my week pretty much just kind of doing a little bit of everything really and very very slowly getting through the design of everyday things however I am proud to say that I've started underlining stuff because, you know, there is a lot of information to take in and I read somewhere that one way to grasp information more quickly is to actually underline or highlight it when you're reading. And I think that's really helped. I'm just trying to do a little bit at a time. I don't know if you both have heard of this crazy online challenge called 75 Hard or something like that. Wait, you you told me about it, didn't you? Actually, Lavinia, <laughs> sorry. Um, so, you know how how in 75 Hard you have to read like 10 pages of a non-fiction book every yeah. day? Yeah. I've been trying to stick to that minus the 245 minute exercise regime because I just can't be bothered to do that. It is really hard. That's the hardest part about it. I think I, I could deal with one 45 minute. But two of them? My god. Yeah, insane. In this economy? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And speaking of all those, like, pages, does reading the one little paragraph beside my puppy of the day calendar page count? (laughs) Whatever you're comfortable with counts. Amazing. Today, it was a cockapoo, the pup of the day. I'm sorry that this is an audio medium, listeners, or else I would definitely share the picture with you how adorable just brains my day <laughs> well yeah that that's really sweet actually puppies are like the best thing oh and speaking of puppies actually how's your week been Lavinia because I understand our editing intern has been busy in the studio oh yeah definitely she loves to just either chew my laptop pick behind it <laughs> or sleep near me while I'm editing 
so yeah, she's been really helpful. The satisfying crunch of Macintosh. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's what basically Steve Jobs' life was about. A satisfying, oh. chewable toy for probably. <laughs> Bite into that apple. <laughs> exactly. But I was going to say, I saw your the fruits of your cleaning labor uh, use in. Mm-hmm. And your flat looked gorgeous by the end of it. So yeah. Um, You're making Marie Kondo jealous. Oh, definitely. Oh, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I think I've always been labeled as a very messy person. And I think I'm just trying to change that gradually one step at a time. You know, um, when you were talking about Atomic Habits, Lavinia, I was thinking, hey, I feel like maybe I can make a gradual step towards becoming an actual like tidy and functional adult. So yeah, I've been trying. I love your targeted PR campaign. one tip from the book about cleaning that i liked was he had an example of someone who prepares their environment for the next use i don't know if you either reached that part or remember that part but basically they were saying (laughs) they were saying that so for example they watch tv and after they finish watching tv they put the the tv remote near the tv they put the uh, sofa cushions in place for kind of like the next viewing and that was the one that i really took away and i now so my morning coffee is with a filter coffee so now whenever i make myself a filter coffee i take two scoops of coffee and put it in the grinder like right after i made it for my next use i change the filter for my next use and I don't know if it actually helps or it just makes me feel better about myself. <laughs> your past self loves your future self. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I like nice. how you put that. Very philosophical. Always looking out for number one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what was I going to say? My week. My week. So how's my week been? I'm going to get very deep here with your permission. But we love it. <laughs> so because I've I'm I'm not working for about eight weeks, which is the longest streak in like three years. I put a lot of pressure on myself to make it as productive as possible, learn as much as possible, and so on. And last week I kind of reached like a peak of I wasn't making as much progress as I planned, so I was a little bit disappointed in myself. And then my partner has really helped, and he was like you have a new puppy which you wanted your whole life and you're not letting yourself enjoy it because you're like oh i have to read all the books and do all the courses and design all the apps and (laughs) everything um so this week i've actually taken it really chill and the highlight of my week was um walking with sean mendes i don't know if you tried apple fitness yet but there's a time to walk part in it and they basically have like really influential people and they have like 30 minutes of walking and he had this 30 minute I guess you could call it a podcast and it was so like deep and insightful and lovely it was all about kind of like letting go of his ego and going back to why he does music and what was really influential to him and it was really great I just love how they have a walk with us podcast. If they ever recorded one with me, I'd be like, oh, the knees are acting up today. Uneven pavement. Oh, my ankles. (laughs) I've just gone over on them. 
but I'm so happy that they're able to be insightful and deep and not complain about their pre-geriatric body. No. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I totally would feel you. I would be the same. So don't yeah. worry. Oh, and the last bit of news from my week. Um, I've taken your recommendation and I started watching WandaVision. What are your thoughts? So I thought it was really, really good. I did not expect the episodes to be that short. So I basically watched all of it but the last episode, I think, one go. Because binge life, millennial life, hashtag. (laughs) And (laughs) I really enjoyed it. I really liked it. I do like the the two characters basically i do like wanda and vision from kind of like the marvel universe so i thought that was like it was easy to like it maybe if it was like about captain america i wouldn't be that into it are you disrespecting the captain i am i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i enjoyed it i love what you were saying about kind of taking a break from that kind of productivity like pressure and hamster wheel that you've kind of been on and taking a break and I I think the most pertinent quote for that is from Ferris Bueller's Day Off in that life moves pretty quick if you don't stop and look around you might just miss it oh yeah I I like that a lot yeah I do love that wisdoms from the 80s that's a good reminder a good era to receive wisdom from thank you exactly yeah (laughs) pre-internet pre-podcasting i think i guess it was just the radio yeah yeah old-timey radio yeah what about um, sorry to our listeners that live through the 80s if we're not describing it accurately (laughs) how's your week been then has it uh has that quote impacted you at all yeah it's one of these kind of COVID weeks where kind of near the end, I look up and I am kind of like, what happened? Um, it's hard to remember Monday. So yeah, this week I've been kind of going full throttle with workshops um, and user interviews, which has been so, so nice. I know I said this every week, but to really get back into those kind of user research lanes, also just even getting to interview people for a variety of our kind of user interviews has been lovely just to talk to people, even if it's the same script again and again. And then kind of creative project wise, I've just been helping a friend uh, uh, because she's trying to create a blog and just want to kind of understand how she can introduce in kind of design and UX elements in. And that's been a lot of fun. I've kind of taken the brief and run away with my imagination and suggested that she do an interactive map. So it's been really fun to kind of help out there. And otherwise, I've been watching Drag Race, which I love and provides so much color, so much energy and excitement. So yeah, really just been living my best life. Love that. Which version of Drag Race was it? The US or the new UK one? Yeah, because they're happening at the same time. It's actually the UK one, which I like a bit better because of the British sense of humor. The American one, they're like, I'm here to win. Get out of my way. Whereas like in the UK one, they all have different accents and they're like, I'm just happy I showed up. (laughs) (laughs) And the self-deprecation is really a great element. And they're not as polished and they're they're friendlier because they're not 
I guess they have nothing to win because they win Rue Peter badges, which are a play on Blue Peter badges, which I think were badges you could get as a kid from a kid's show if you like wrote in and was like, here's my art project or something, or I made a dream catcher. Whereas in the States, they can win like $100,000 or even more. So I, I do remember my friends being quite upset with the fact that the UK version was very much the on a tight budget version but it sounds like it's got really positives as well where it's less polished so it's it's more fun yeah Yeah, they literally win like a badge an enamel badge that probably costs like two quid to make because the BBC is like this is all the funds we have fair enough (laughs) I've got to give it a watch at some point most definitely so this week we're talking about accessibility So first, I think we really need to understand what it is, especially kind of in a UX sense. So accessibility is concerned with whether all users are able to access an equivalent user experience, however they encounter a product or service. So for instance, someone who is colorblind should still be able to have a usable experience using a mobile app as someone that does not. So why is accessibility important? So I think accessibility is really not only the right thing to do, but it often brings a lot of benefits to other users, not just those kind of with varying abilities or any disability. So for instance, like video captions uh, can be useful on videos to help people that have hearing difficulties or hearing impairments, but also it can help if you're say in a library and need to watch a video on mute. This reminds me of a of an infographic that I found online where it shows that even if you don't necessarily find yourself or describe yourself as someone suffering from a disability, all of us at some point will suffer from maybe a temporary or situational one. So for example, We wouldn't maybe, I wouldn't personally describe myself as someone with a visual impairment, but in reality, I wear glasses. So if I don't have my glasses on, I don't really see everything that a website has to show me as well as when I have them on. Equally, for example, if someone is distracted by something, they will not have the same experience. If someone who is fully abled suddenly maybe breaks their arm, they will have to interact with their the world around them in a completely different way. And they might find that things that before they have broken their arm felt really easy to them are not as easy anymore now. So that is kind of like a failure in us designing the world around us for people who permanently uh, only have one arm. So yeah, there's... Or even just aging. Yeah, absolutely. Your ability is changing kind of over time maybe just slower like motor responses yeah absolutely so yeah there's there's a lot of kind of abilities or lack of abilities that we have all the time or we might not have temporarily or might not have based on the situation that we are facing kind of designing for everyone doesn't only mean designing for people with disabilities it's just designing for everyone all of us also I guess when we talk about user experience, we often talk about human-centered design and really putting ourselves in the shoes of the user or really putting the user at the heart of whatever we design. And it's important to remember that we shouldn't be 
designing for just a specific group or people, no matter how much of a majority they might occupy. And it's really important to just make sure that products we design are inclusive and accessible to all. So that's why it's really important to always keep accessibility at the front of our minds. Most definitely. And Lavinia, I really like this visual that you've kind of shared with us, which breaks down a couple permanent, temporary and situational aspects of kind of the senses. So we've got, yeah, touch, see, hear, speak. And I love the speak one because there is speak and under permanent, there's nonverbal. Under temporary, you've got laryngitis. And under situational, you've got heavy accent, which totally reminds me of a time I used to have this flatmate had a very thick German accent and he would try to use the Amazon fire stick to pick a show and he would try repeatedly to say the name of the show he'd be like Black Mirror and it just would not work in his thick German accent so I would have to come over and in the most like generically American accent just be like Black Mirror (laughs) (laughs) so it finally worked for him yeah I, I definitely feel that all the time Um, I don't particularly see myself as someone with a heavy accent, but I obviously have one. And whenever I try to speak to kind of the the fire remote, it doesn't work with me very well. Same, or when I'm trying to compose a message on text and it just comes out all like garbled nonsense. I'm like, I knew I had a bit of an accent, but really, is it that bad? It's not. Or even (laughs) the boopa hotline here in the uk which is like health insurance its systems are kind of oriented towards people with british accents so even when i call in with like my putting on my very generic north american accent which tends to be the default i have to put on a really terrible british accent when i'm telling them my information it's like my postcode i just be speaking normally but then when you get to the automated sections i'm like M five E one H H five, and I get such looks because oftentimes, like I was in the office when I was calling in, and everyone's like, "You want to fight? You mocking me?" <laughs> Apologies to every single British listener as well. I'm I know I butchered your accent, and I'm so sorry. I love that. Amazing. So, with regards to accessibility. I just want to know what are some kind of key principles you two rely on? So actually, earlier this week, I was doing some training in my current organization where I'm working on a client project, basically the same one. It's going to be the same one for the next year. Um, I came across this set of principles that I thought were really useful. So um, it's the POOR principles and it's spelled P-O-U-R. Uh, which is quite a helpful acronym to remember. So there are four high-level principles that describe functional accessibility, and they stand for perceivable, operable, understandable, and robust. And I guess, you know, I won't kind of go into the whole, like, Wikipedia lowdown of what poor actually means, but it's really interesting because perceivable just means that if you're designing a system or a piece of technology, it shouldn't Basically, everyone should be able to interact or perceive the content in some way, whether that's visual, which is probably the primary sense that most people use to interact with a piece of content like that. But for example, if you have users who might have um, visual impairments, they should be able to listen to the content through assistive technologies or screen readers 
or likewise if you have users who have um, hearing impairments when they're watching a video you should they should be able to see subtitles for that video so in that sense anything that you design should be perceivable to pretty much everyone and a system won't work if it's just purely visual uh, it has to be audio or you know people should be able to interact with it through other senses like touch so that's perceivable um, and then operable basically means you need to be able to interact the content in some way so I think by default a lot of people might use a mouse or for a long time the mouse was kind of seen as the primary piece of equipment with which you would interact with an interface but nowadays actually um, a lot of people especially I think people who obviously have visual impairments and who wouldn't be able to see a screen you know they might not actually know where to point and click that mouse so then they rely heavily on keyboard assistance or keyboard shortcuts to help them with with um, navigating through that content so operable basically means that you know if you're designing a system you need to think about how the user would interact with it if they use the tab key um, which I think I, I feel like I've kind of read a lot about the high level principles of you know ensuring color contrast ensuring that font size is legible but I've not really thought about that specific and detailed interaction when someone uses the tab key to tab through content. And then the third principle um, is understandable. So that basically means in your content or in your copy, that needs to be quite basic, easy to understand. I think written for, just made, made really simple and kind of written for um, a very general audience. So it shouldn't contain any jargon. It should just be super straightforward and yeah, like really easy to understand. And then the last one is robust, which I think is quite interesting because this is more from a development angle. Robust basically means that when coming up with a website or any piece of tech or any piece of content displayed on the web, you need to be able to use clean code or um, essentially code that kind of works really well with assistive technologies so that if someone's using a screen reader, they can pick up essentially the content on that page through the various HTML tags that you might be using or um, I think robust can also be applied to the principle of alt text so if you have images you know putting an alt text label on those images means that the screen reader will pick that up and basically be able to interpret whatever that content is for your user so I thought that was a really sort of nice neat way of thinking about how to build an accessible system I don't know if you both have come across this before or if there are other frameworks that you know you've used in the past. Yeah, definitely. So I've used WCAG, which I realize is like the worst acronym ever. It almost sounds like an insult. You hurl at someone WCAG. <laughs> Anyways, WCAG is the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines, and it's a set of specific standards designed to make the web more accessible to people with disabilities, and right now it's on its third version and update over the years to really account for changes in technologies such as web-based digital technologies, assistive technologies, development trends, and the growth of mobile web. And fun fact, in May 1999, WCAG 1.0 was born. And at that point, back in 1999, it included 14 guidelines ranging from the need to provide text equivalents to considering clarity and simplicity on the early web. And each guideline had between one and 10 supporting checkpoints. So 
currently, for those keeping score at home, the big WCAG fans, we're on WCAG 2.2, which is in draft form. Mm. So very exciting and emerging. Uh, and they've kind of separated out into single A, double A, and triple A. Double A, or single A being the simplest or most straightforward accessibility guidelines, and then triple A being the most intense. So, for instance, our good friends at gov.uk are currently in AAA, uh, so it's really impressive what they do in terms of being ultra accessible. So just to run through a couple WCAG guidelines, we've got success criterion 1.4.3, contrast minimums. So I'll just preface this by saying that if you ever have any questions in your mind over anything accessibility related, you can go to WCAG and they will have a guideline to address your specific question. Though I will say, I don't think the UI is actually the greatest on the WCAG website. It is a little overwhelming when you first go there, but with, with enough perseverance, you will definitely find uh, the answer to your question. But yeah, success criterion 1.4.3 contrast minimum, which is a level AA looks at the visual presentation of text and images and that they must have a contrast ratio of at least 4.5 to one, which just means you really need to have contrast so that the two colors, say if you've got a background, uh, that the text doesn't kind of blend into it um, or those like contrasts that are really hard to read, like red background with lime green text. Spare me. Which I know. Early days, though, like, I feel like there were lots of my spaces that were really guilty of that kind of thing. Just websites that hurt your eyes and ultimately hurt your souls. But the exceptions for this 4.5 contrast to one would be like large text or like large images or actually it's interesting that logos don't really have any restrictions against them. So I guess people can go wild with their red and lime green logos. Oh yeah, I'm going to make one with like red, lime green and Comic Sans. Love it. <laughs> you will not we be punished, but you will be judged. <laughs> I feel like that's a biblical quote. <laughs> Come on, throw the design Bible at me. <laughs> I love it. And then another one I'd like to talk about is alt text. So when using an image element, it's important to have another way to communicate to the user what's going on on screen, uh, especially for those with visual impairments. So oftentimes what you can do is you can put alt text into the code um, or even put like a little description line under an image. That just helps with clarity. But if someone is using a screen reader, which uh, I've been using voiceover to do testing, which is which comes embedded in Macs. You can just go into your kind of preferences panel. You can turn on voiceover and then it will just read through content and you can navigate by tabbing. When you get to an image, it's very important that it's either kind of alt text in the code so that it recognizes that or yeah, a line underneath explaining it. That's a great point. I also think one benefit actually, aside from accessibility of using alt text is to help with SEO or search engine optimization. And that's actually quite a good 
tip I learned from watching these web design videos on YouTube. Basically, if you have sort of, you know, um, alt text or metadata in your images, it actually gets picked up on the web as well. So one way of increasing like um, your ranking in Google search is to put relevant content keywords within alt text as well. That definitely helps with increasing the discoverability of your website. Yeah, recently Google has actually made UX as one of their kind of criteria for ranking websites. And that is a big umbrella, I guess. But in that umbrella, accessibility is a, is a huge kind of part of it, where if your website is not accessible, uh, it actually hurts your SEO as well. So it kind of now goes beyond just being a kind human and making your work accessible to everyone. It actually can hurt kind of your... Uh, business so but of course but of course we at hotline designer you know advocating accessible design for altruistic and obviously like really sensible reasons and not just because it might hurt you if your product or website is inaccessible we do genuinely believe it's you know like we said very important to design for for different groups of users Amazing. So there are lots of kind of little technical things with accessibility, but what are our thoughts about accessibility kind of from a bigger picture perspective? Yeah. So I love that question and I have quite a few thoughts on it, I guess. One of the things that comes to mind is probably for a lot of people, and it's it's not necessarily their fault, kind of designing for accessibility might sound like designing for 2% of the population or it's not something that affects them but in reality in kind of like the last census I think that's the that's the word it was counted that just in the UK there are 14.1 million people that consider themselves having a disability which is huge it's 21% of the population so when we don't design accessible products we are excluding over a fifth of the population which is huge and if you take into account what we've spoken about before about people with permanent temporary and situation disability you're actually mm-hmm. excluding a lot more and if that isn't kind of like enough for when you kind of are advocating for accessibility in your team maybe kind of give people examples of when it affects them so a great one lauren um, you gave before when if you're watching a video and you're in the library you will need the subtitles and they will come really handy to you regardless of your kind of abilities or disabilities. This affects all of us and I think it's it's good for us to be empathetic but equally understand that this is not just for one group of people. This is this is beneficial to all of us. So yeah, that's kind of like one of the one of the things that I wanted to touch on. But beyond that, I think the details are really important. So everything you touched on, contrast uh, in terms of color, font size, and so on, um, are really important. It's really good to kind of think beyond these uh, details and ask ourselves, is someone in the team kind of advocating for accessibility? Is someone in the team responsible for accessibility? And if not... Is this an opportunity for us to take this responsibility and advocate for for, um, all users in this regard? 
Another good question that I like to ask myself is if accessibility is baked into the process. So making sure mm-hmm. that it's not just an afterthought, uh, making sure that it's not like it's one month until go live date. Is this site accessible? Making sure that we, mm-hmm. from the start, from the planning stages, we are thinking of this. And then the kind of last question and process part that I want to make sure is that we have people of diverse abilities in our user research. So we're not only asking able-bodied people if they can complete the process. We are asking everyone if they complete their pro- the process and it's equally important to us uh, and the product. So yeah, those are kind of like the higher level questions that I like to ask myself and think about and advocate for. With these kind of ideas in mind, can you think of any times where you wanted accessibility to be front of mind, but you maybe have hit some roadblocks or had uh, encountered some pushback? Yeah, I would say that on the projects I've worked on, they tend to be, or I think with the exception with the exception of my current role, some of the projects I've done in the past have been pretty sort of short and sharp, and it was very much about developing an MVP, like a minimum viable product. So, I think often accessibility really wasn't thought of as a key consideration, but. It was more of you know trying to make the product look really aesthetic, but thinking less about accessibility since you know it wasn't kind of developed yet into a full-fledged product. So I think that was um, that was one of the occasions where I think accessibility wasn't exactly the key priority. On another separate occasion, I was sort of talking to someone earlier this year about p- potentially doing a piece of freelance design work. And they asked me if I had any experience, I think, designing consumer-facing products. And I quote, this person said, you know, I think a lot of the time when you work on projects for big organizations, the apps tend to be less aesthetically appealing and, you know, very safe because you have to think about accessibility. And I think I just kind of wanted to say, you know, I don't think they're necessarily mutually exclusive. I think very often when we think of design, everyone seems to sort of conflate it, the idea that it must be very visual, it must be very good looking. And, you know, sometimes font can be quite difficult to read or people use really light colors that don't give enough contrast. And I think really, you know, we should probably kind of start or stop thinking about accessibility as being completely separate from designing nice products. You know, I think the eventual aim should be to develop something that's both fun- functional and like aesthetically appealing because obviously at the end of the day we have a sort of really nice looking website but then it alienates like you say Lavinia about 20% of the population then I think that's you know something to be aware of like that's definitely something we shouldn't be striving for. This actually reminds me of a of a tweet <laughs> I love my Twitter of a tweet I encountered um, this week, actually, where someone was pointing out that we are supposed to be, as the design industry, we're supposed to be kind of like the champions of accessibility. But even we are guilty of taking this visual side at almost the extreme where 
we're not making things accessible just so they look cool. And I completely agree with you. They're not mutually exclusive. You can create something really beautiful and accessible. And one of the problems that we seem to have in the design industry is that we give all of the kind of like design awards to these incredible transitions and video starting websites and all of these that are actually not that accessible and someone i hope i can maybe link to this in the show notes but someone actually documented all of the awards nominees so you know those a w w words yeah yeah all of the nominees and all of the accessibility challenges that they Mm. faced and Mm. not one of them was fully accessible Mm. so us as an industry have work to do even though we are the ones who are probably kind of the most mature when it comes to to accessibility Mm. and advocating for it so it's yeah it's it's quite interesting it reminded me of the of the kind of pushback that you got on yeah um on that freelance project you were working on i think thankfully i must say in my current organization that hasn't really been an issue i think it's great to work in a team where i think accessibility is recognized as being really important when we design the site also we have actually a separate team which conducts accessibility audits on um, the platforms that we have and you can even do a little like self assign a little self-assessment of the product you're working on by filling in this spreadsheet that kind of gives you all of these different accessibility criteria to check for. And then you can just kind of run through that and make sure that your site is compliant. If not, you can even pass it on to an accessibility expert who will do more detailed testing for you. So I think it's really great that currently where I work, you know, there's such an emphasis on designing accessible tools. Most definitely. And I love the idea of trying to bake accessible design in from the get-go and like as we're pulling together design systems really making sure that we're putting the work in to make sure that our fonts are the right size that there's none of this white font on you know a yellow background button uh, and that we're just putting the work in there as well so that it's easier for us to design quickly but we have that baked in a or double a variation of accessibility oh i love that i love a good design systems reference and <laughs> i think it's yeah it's such a good point where you yeah you make your system accessible by default mm. and then when you design your applications it's just there definitely and also a major shout out to our love gov.uk they've actually got some really good tools on their website um you know how gov.uk actually has consistently won so many awards for like great form design um it's kind of the gold standard for accessible design and they even have their design system available online for anyone pretty much to browse and to use elements from so definitely worth checking out amazing gov.uk please come on the podcast (laughs) gds come on the pod (laughs) Amazing, amazing thoughts. So just tying it all together, I think it's so important that as UX designers, we're all keeping accessibility front of mind and we're really making sure that it is not an afterthought. And now we've actually got a call from one of our listeners for Hotline Design Hotline. Hi, Lavinia, Yusin and Lauren. 
My name is Andrea and I'm a longtime listener and first-time caller based out of Toronto. I work as a product owner and I'm wondering if you could recommend any easy tools for me to do a quick accessibility check on my on my project designs. Thank you. Thank you so much for calling in, Andrea from Toronto. So yeah, I think it's great that you're taking the initiative, especially as a product owner to look into these tools that will help you out with accessibility. So one recommendation from myself is if you go to Google, they've got Google Lighthouse, which will allow you to inspect any website that's live. So you just like right click, go to inspect. Uh, There's a whole kind of panel that it's full of code. Um, But if you click on Lighthouse, it allows you to run a very quick accessibility test and it actually gives you a percentage out of a hundred on how accessible the page is and it also is responsive so it allows you if you're say on desktop uh, it allows you to then kind of smush your design uh, down and resize it to be on mobile and then run the test again so i would highly recommend that especially if you're in the position where you're checking homework I think that's a great way to just get those numbers quickly. I love that. Beyond that, if you have any kind of designers on the team, hopefully they will kind of already know the basics. But uh, one tool that I love when designing in Figma, and this is uh, available also on uh, Sketch and Adobe XD, is a plugin called Stark. And that actually allows designers to check their color contrast and the font sizes and everything else and make sure that they are at least double a compliant or ideally triple a compliant with wukeg guidelines so yeah that's my that's my go-to when i'm designing i love that um no thanks for the great tips i personally haven't used lighthouse but it sounds really great and definitely one that i would love to check out on stark it is actually very useful. I can attest to that. One thing I thought was super cool about Stark is that it actually kind of shows you what that page looks like for people with varying types of color blindness, for example, so that you can really understand, you know, what they might see or put yourself in the shoes of the user when you're using your own designs or looking at them. And then I think one to mention, which I found recently is Hemingway. I think it's HemingwayApp.com. But really, it helps kind of check the syntax of your sentences and your content to make sure that it's understandable and readable. And I think, you know, that is also important because when we think about accessibility, it's also about helping people understand what's on your site. And then kind of along the same lines of what you were talking about in Stark, you said, we've also got Funkify. Um, So this is, again, kind of like an empathy building tool that allows you to pick from like a number of kind of potential like user personas and like there's one like I I think it's it's a really creative tool but a little bit questionable on their naming of these tools but they've got like dyslexic Dan and you can click on dyslexic Dan and choose the degree of severity of the dyslexia and it will like jumble around all the words um, and kind of represent what it would look like if you potentially had dyslexia they've got like elderly Edith as well which not only kind of will change the visibility of the screen but also you can like make the mouse shake like you've got like a little like hand tremor 
So that really helps to build empathy. Uh, I think it's just a really great tool to have in the back of your pocket. Yeah, these are some great tools. I hope they help Andrea. Most definitely. Yes. Thank you for calling in Andrea from Toronto. And that is our show for this week. Make sure you tune in next Wednesday for our next podcast. And as always, if you would like to be featured in Hotline Design Hotline, you can always call in and leave your question on anchor.fm slash hotline design pod. We're also on Instagram at hotline design pod. And of course, Gmail at hotline design pod at gmail.com. Have an amazing week, everyone. We're sorry. You have reached a number that has been disconnected. Please check the number and try your call again.